Anyhow, I want to welcome you to, to worship again, and uh, I'm Steve. I happen to be one of the pastors here, and it's a great privilege to be able to bring the Word of the Lord to you today. I'm excited for lots of reasons, mainly because of the message today, but I'm also excited because you do understand what's happening today. It starts now here in California, right? Oh, bless you. Bless you. Doubly bless you, my sister. You may not be able to afford to go to the Tour of uh, France this year, but you can certainly see the Tour of California. It's going to come to Pasadena next Sunday, and I'm excited about that. It'll be in Santa Clarita on Saturday. I'll be out there to see the racers come in, and then they're going to come in around the Rose Bowl and ride laps. And, uh, next Sunday afternoon, you can see some of the greatest bike racers in the world right here in our state of California. So very exciting, at least if you love cycling. I know some of you say it's kind of like watching grass grow, but... Uh, that's all right. You just don't understand. So I'm, I'm anxious to see the tour of California and see if uh, Levi can win it again or somebody else. But anyhow, enough of that. Uh, a moment ago, we sang a song, I Am a Wounded Soldier. And I would like to ask you uh, to raise your hand if you think that you are a wounded soldier. My hand's up because I'm, I'm a wounded soldier. Well, come on. I want to see the response here. Okay, some of us are honest. Uh, thank you. This morning, I hope, uh, whether you feel like a wounded soldier or not, that you can walk out of here feeling like the, you've been in the best hospital in the world and you walk out strong. I hope you can walk out strong, feeling good about God's Spirit in you and about yourself. There are several versions to this story, but uh, this is the version I'm going to tell. The young nymph was in the deep forest. Her name is Echo. And as she's in the forest, she sees a beautiful man, just amazing figure. And she instantly falls in love. It's love at first sight. But as she makes her advances and seems tries to be attractive to this young man, he spurns her and he runs further into the forest until he comes to a pool of water. And there, as he looks into the pool, Narcissus sees his own reflection in the pool of water, and he realizes, wow, I am beautiful. It was wrong of me to spurn Echo. How could she resist such beauty? There's no way she could have resisted. So he felt terrible about having spurned Echo's advances and, and run off from her. And so standing there at the pool, gazing at his own beauty, Narcissus dives into the water. And as he dives into the water, he says, farewell, farewell. And accidentally, he drowns. Well, the nymphs come along, and later as they arrive there, they realize that Narcissus has drowned in the pool, but he's come back as a blossom. And we have a flower named Narcissus. There are some varieties of them. I'd like to talk to you about Narcissus today. We are on a journey. Our theme for this year is made up of one word and one number. What's, what is our theme? Connect 360. And each Sunday we've been talking about connections. And Connect 360 is simply a way to help us as Christ followers do what Christ wants us to do. So as you think of Connect 360, I hope it directs you upward as you think of your connection with God. And of course, as you think of 360, I hope it focuses you outward because we've talked about our connections with one another, the church. We've talked about our connections in the community. And I promised sooner or later we were going to talk about our connection with self. Now, Connect 360, although it is a slogan and our theme for this year, it's based on some very important scripture, right? Its foundation is 
something that Jesus said based on the Old Testament. When Jesus was asked, it, it, one way to paraphrase this would be, Jesus, summarize the Bible. Summarize the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus chose to quote Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he said the following, and if you know it, say it with me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then a verse or two later, he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, I want to focus on those words, as yourself. Do you love you? I think it's a fair question. Now, in the wrestling with this question, there are two extremes to avoid. And I'm going to put them out there. We're not going to talk about them anymore. One extreme I've already mentioned would be what? Narcissism. And if you like to take notes, we've got a map of where we're going. And I'd encourage you to write that down. Narcissism is simply self-love. And an extreme form of that would be an egomaniac, someone who is very filled with pride. They can only talk about themselves. In fact, um, I didn't do it, so don't blame me. I'm just quoting the literature. But sociologists have labeled a whole generation as what? The me generation. And you've met people who pretty much think the world revolves around them. In fact, I've got two grandchildren, Olivia and Abigail. The world pretty much, they think, involves around them. And that's because if you study child uh, psychology and behavior, you realize when a child is born, that child can't distinguish themselves from the world. That's part of what we learn when we grow up. Differentiation. This is me. That's you. And they're still in that two-year-old phase where they don't differentiate very well. They just think it's all about them. Now, unfortunately, you know where I'm going. Some of us have grown up, but we still think that, don't we? It's all about me. Paul, in writing to uh, the young preacher Timothy, said this in 2 Timothy 3. You must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, and he goes on to list a lot of things. And then in uh, a later verse, he says that they will be um, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. People who love themselves. So one extreme would be narcissism. The other stream, extreme is what uh, the word I'm going to use is autophobia, self-loathing. We don't want to go to the extreme of self-love, and we're not wanting to go to the extreme of self-loathing. That is a person who actually hates themselves. This terrible tragedy in Illinois, the shooter, Stephen, uh, it's now coming out that as a child he used to cut himself a lot. He would mutilate his own body. That's not right. We understand that's wrong. There's something wrong with someone that does that. Some forms of uh, drug abuse sometimes are people that are really kind of destroying themselves or anorexia or bulimia. Sometimes these are forms when people seem to hate their own body and turn in on it in some way. And that's another extreme. Now, as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, the question comes up, was Jesus commanding self-love? And some have said yes. Or was Jesus assuming self-love? Which is it? Well, this morning, I do want to talk to you about yourself. And we're going to kind of come at this in two ways. The first part, I want to uh, talk about um, you and the fact that you matter. You are important as a person. And 
I guess one of my greatest concerns this morning is that there may be any number of us who really are uncomfortable with this idea of self-love. You, you, you resist that. You're not sure it even should be said in church. And so for you, I hope that you can walk out with a, a fresh opinion of yourself, a better opinion of yourself. And I'm going to work hard at sharing a quadrant of reasons why you ought to love yourself and why you matter. And then we're going to wrap up in some application to try and say, well, what does all this mean in the larger context of Jesus' teaching? So fair enough, let's, let's go there now. And uh, I want to give you four reasons why you matter. And the first one, I think, is the first. It's probably primary. And the first one is this. You matter because you are made in the image of God. Now, let me read to you from uh, the 27th verse, verse in the Bible. This comes early on, folks. It's never changed. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, let's suppose for a moment you got in my car and we drove up uh, Fair Oaks Avenue north across the freeway. And if you've driven up in there, you've seen a lot of uh, convalescent homes, care facilities. I'm not sure what the politically correct term is these days. Uh, Sophia Lynn, Camellia Gardens, some of you have been in those places. And let's suppose we go visit lots of them, and I introduce you to lots of people, and some of them are elderly, some of them are not, but uh, these people are, are not in good shape. They're cared for. Uh, some of them cannot even feed themselves. The worst cases would be comatose. But even for those who can get up and feed themselves, many of them wear diapers, so they have to be changed and cleaned regularly. Uh, many of them will never get better. They're going to die in those places. And so I suggest to you, you know what, um, we just need to put them to sleep. That's what I did with Jake when he could no longer get up. My dog, you know, he could no longer get in around. We went to the vet, and the vet said, he's old. This We need to put him down. So what do you think? Why shouldn't we just put folks that, folks that are never going to get better, why shouldn't we just put them to sleep in a humane sort of way? Now, if you and I were sitting over the coffee, how would you answer that question? Bad idea? Good idea? Save a lot of money. Now, that question actually is talked about in our society, not much in church, but as a follower of Christ, why would you, what would you say about that? Well, I'm sure you'd say, well, that's murder. And you might quote the Bible, you shall not murder. But, but why not do that? I mean, isn't that a pretty pragmatic kind of solution to this problem? Well, I think their first answer ought to be, that, look, there's a difference in my dog Jake and some man named Jake in one of those places, and the difference is the difference between a, a, an animal and a human being. What's the difference? Well, the difference is we, as humans, are made in the image of God. The Latin word is imago dei. And so that we believe, as our Judeo-Christian heritage has taught us, that every person is precious, not because of what they can do, not because they can produce, but because they're made in God's image. Now, one of the rich experiences of our life the last couple of years have been my mom and dad have moved back from Oregon to California. And so we've been able to spend a lot of time with my mom and dad. And then we spend quite a bit of time with Joyce's mom when we travel back to Missouri. And Joyce and I have had a lot of conversations as we're around our parents and learn new things about them. You know what the old saying is? The nut doesn't fall very far from the tree. 
And you may have had great parents and would be glad to be like them. You may have had awful parents and say, I never want to be like that. But you're going to be a lot like mom and dad, right? Now, there are many reasons for those, environmental and and otherwise. But part of it is our DNA. We're just wired that way, right? And suppose a baby's born and that baby is separated from her parents. And she grows up to adulthood and then she says, I want to know who my mom and dad are. Today, because we live in such a marvelous day, if she could find and test enough people, she could trace the DNA back and identify this is mom and this is dad, correct? That could literally happen today through science. Because we live in such a marvelous time. So there is this, this connection. Now, when, when the scripture says you are made in the image of God, that's a tough statement to totally unpack, but in the simplest form, there's something godlike or divine in each one of us. Is that not true? I mean, cannot we, can't we say that there's God's DNA in you? There's something special in you. You matter because you're made in the image of God. That ought to send goosebumps down your back. And that's exactly what the Scripture says, and that has never changed. And so why wouldn't we just put those folks to sleep? Because there's something precious about each one of them. They're a human being. They're not a dog. They're not a cat. They're a person. And they're precious. And you're precious. In fact, I put it this way. You understand this. You can trace your DNA back to the divine creator. You have God's D.I. in you. God's divine image. That's what the Bible says. Am I wrong? No, God is your father. God is your creator parent. And that's why we can say, Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. God loves us. And I want to encourage you this morning. Can you, can you receive this? Do you believe it? You matter. You matter. Now, that's just the first point. I think it's the best point. But the second one's almost as good. You are loved. You are loved. Why do I say this? Well, uh, I say it because that's what the Scripture says, and there would be many verses, Old and New Testament, we could read that state that God loves you. But let me just choose this one from 1 John. Of course, it's been uh, 1 John uh, 4.9, the verse ahead of it says, God is love, and then it says this, In this is love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved. (laughs) I like that word. Valentine's Day a few days ago, right? God says, Beloved. To you, God says, Beloved. Can Can you imagine God throwing His arms around you and drawing you in a tight hug and kissing your neck and whispering in your ear and saying, Beloved. My beloved child. Beloved. Since God loved us so much... We also ought to love one another. So this morning, uh, I have no problem standing up and saying you matter because God loves you. I know that because the Bible has said that. God loves you. Like a father loves the prodigal son who wanders off and the father never gives up, God loves you. Like a, a chicken gathering her hen, uh, like the hen gathering her chicks about, God loves you. Like the shepherd who goes after the lost sheep late at night and the sheep's stuck in the bush and God brings, the shepherd brings it back. God loves you like a shepherd. 
God loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son into the world and sent Him onto a cross so that you might know forgiveness and freedom and be invited back to heaven. That's how much God loves you. So this morning, not only are you made in the image of God, but you are loved by God. Now, there's a a third statement I want to make about why you matter. This one's going to require a little work from you, but I think you're up to it. You matter because you are loved by others. You are loved by others. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. Uh, in your outline, I've got a little room for, the, for you to make a love list. And I'd like you to literally jot down some names of folks who love you. You can start with mom, right? You've heard that expression, that child, that baby is so ugly. How's it go? Only a mother could love it. But moms do that. I would add grandmas do that, too, and probably grandpas. And so at the very least, you can put down mom. Mom loves you. And you can make a long list. Your spouse, grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. Now, uh, some of you, if you have parents, if you're a parent and you have a teenager, uh, your teenager may have recently said, I don't like you. Go ahead and list them. They, they don't know what they're saying. You know, teenage years, you can't be held responsible. So even if your kid has told you, I don't love you anymore, I don't like you, ignore it. They love you. Put their name down. So make your love list. There are lots of people who love you. You matter to them. You are very important to them. Again, this poor man that did such terrible thing in Illinois, his parents are broken. They loved him. They loved him. So you can make your love list. Uh, Does this make sense to you? Can you believe this? That you matter because you are made in God's image. You matter because you are loved by God. You matter because there are others who love you. And then finally, and I'll explain this one. You matter because you love your neighbor as you love yourself. That may not make sense right now. Let me explain it in a minute. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. This idea of loving neighbor didn't just spring up in in some new place. It's rooted deep in the Old Testament. In the book of Leviticus, the law says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus was quoting that verse. When Paul begins to think about this theme, not only what the law says, but what Jesus says in Galatians chapter um, Galatians 5, Paul writes this, For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor like what? As yourself. And then James, when he writes about the royal law, do you know what the royal law is? Well, I'm going to wait while you figure it out. What's the royal law? Be brave. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what James wrote. That's the royal law. You shall love your neighbor. And so this morning, when I put down uh, another reason that you matter is that Here's where where my mind is going with this. You matter because God has in mind that you can actually be of help to other people. Now, God loves you for who you are, and if you never do anything for anybody, God still loves you. However, God has in mind some missions for you. God wants you to be a blessing to someone else. And so you matter because there's actually a mission that you can be on 
to impact for good and God other people's lives. Does that make sense? Can you believe that? That God actually wants you to be a blessing to someone else? God's going to use you in that way? I think so. So there are four reasons why I think you matter. And I want to encourage you in that. Now, I want to shift gears here a bit and go to another part of our message today as we talk about self-love. Uh, a question, what is it other people need? What do other people need? Well, they really don't need a Ferrari, so th those kind of things are going to be off the list. But what do other people need? Well, they need exactly the same thing you need, right? Now, stay with me and think with me for a moment, because as Jesus talk, teaches us to love other people, that love is actually only possible if you love yourself. Years ago in college, I read a lot of books by a Swiss psychiatrist, a Christian man named Paul Turnier, very influential in my life. And it seems like I should have known this, but he taught me that people cannot give what they don't have. Now, if you came in here this morning and you had no money, no checkbook, and the offerings passed, you may have wanted to give, but you had nothing to give. You can't give what you don't have. And I was sort of convicted by Dr. Turnier because I realized Bible teachers and preachers are oftentimes pushing people to give things that they can't give. Kind of like asking a child to do something she can't do. And so this morning, where I'm going with this is when Jesus says love others as you love yourself, that assumes something, doesn't it? What's it assume? It assumes you love yourself. And this morning, if you're sitting here saying, Steve, I hate myself, then please don't worry about reaching out to your neighbor, okay? Don't worry about that. Don't worry about loving your neighbor. Start by loving God and letting God love you. Letting God fill you with God's own love and spirit. Because you really can't love someone else well if you're not a healthy, whole person. Now, the song was great. We're all wounded soldiers, so don't say, Steve, i got to get 100% right before I can go out and serve. That's, that's never going to happen. You're never going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? But there's a balance here, isn't there? And there has to be some sense of health and love within yourself if you're going to be able to love and help your neighbor. Now, I thought John Piper's comment was good here. And he says, it's in your bulletin. In other words, make yourself seeking the measure of your self-giving. Now, back to the question. I have this pyramid in here, and I want to look at it for a minute. If you've taken Psychology 101, you see this is your, uh, a self-actualized person. Abraham Maslow put this together. And I don't want to get hung up on this, but it's very helpful to answer the question, what do you need? And we start at the bottom, we work to the top. And your most basic needs are physiological needs. You need food to eat or you'll die. You need clean water to drink or you'll die. You need to sleep at night or in the day. Somehow you need to sleep. Those are basic needs. We all have them. Now, how does this work when we think about loving our neighbor as ourself? Well, the way it works is that if I truly love myself, I'm going to what? I'm going to try to have a healthy diet. I'm going to drink clean water. I'm going to get some sleep. I'm going to take care of myself, right, in some sort of reasonable manner. Is that That's clear, right? So... What Jesus is saying, want the same thing for the other. You should want for your neighbor exactly what you want for yourself. In other words, you should want your neighbor to have food. You should want your neighbor to have clean water. You should want your neighbor to be able to get some sleep. Simple things. I'm 
as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, one of our missionaries, the Mann family. He, he and his sons have worked uh, in Thailand for years, and part of what he's done is dig wells and teach villagers how to dig wells so they can have clean water and train them in sanitation so they can be healthy. And as we support our missions, we support that kind of ministry. That's loving our neighbor. Uh, there was a, in the news just this week, I didn't intend to go off on this, but I think I will. Uh, bottled water is a big problem. You know what? I mean, California, I think, kind of started that, but all the bottles that go into the dumps so we can't, they don't rot because they're made out of plastic. The bottled water industry is making this big deal. Well, some official in England was outraged about it, and he said, you know, we're spending all this money to truck all this water around. Meanwhile, you could get good water from the tap. Some of that water is better than what you get out of the bottle. And meanwhile, so many places in the world just don't even have clean drinking water. So if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to be concerned about those kinds of things, right? So that's just the basic bottom of the pyramid here. Let's, if you want to fill in the blanks, we seek for others' health. We would seek for others' food, clean water. We would seek for others' safety. Um, we want to, we want justice. We want to be able to go to bed at night and not worry about somebody coming in our house. It'd be nice to take a walk around the neighborhood and feel safe and thank God we can. You want to be able to drive down the freeway and not get shot. Basically, you can. It's pretty safe around here. And so we want to seek those kinds of things. And then you can work your way on up. We want, um, we want love. We all need to be loved. We need to show love. We need respect and self-esteem. We need the fullness of God's Spirit. So this morning, I want to encourage you that as you think about, as you see this list, this is a list for you. We should grow in all these areas. And we should, should be so filled with God's love and spirit that we're able and ready to reach out to someone else and bless them as we can. And I hope this is encourages you. You matter. And as you are filled with God's spirit, you're able to make a more significant difference in loving your neighbor. Now, I want to wrap up with two examples, one from mom and one from Jesus. That's a pretty good duo, isn't it? How does this work? Well, you can tell your own story as I tell mine, but I grew up with uh, severe asthma. And uh, at night sometimes this would come on me. I couldn't breathe. I was hospitalized on occasion for asthma. And so my mom, when I would get an asthma attack in the night, uh, she would just lay there and say, well, i got to get my sleep. Go ahead and wheeze. No, she didn't say that, did she? So maybe at 2 a.m., she would get out of bed, give up her sleep. Now, do we all need sleep? Yes. But there comes a time when we sometimes say, well, I'm going to forego my sleep to help my child. So she'd get up, get my medicine. She'd rub my back. She'd rub my feet to help me relax and help me calm down so I could breathe. Now, would moms like foot rubs and back rubs and sleep? Of course they do. But sometimes they give that up to reach out to their child. When Jesus said, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, a couple chapters earlier, he said this, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Are these things, they contradict or do they work together? You see, actually, I think the only person who can take up their cross and follow Jesus is somebody who, who loves God and knows what God's done for them. They love themselves, they realize how significant they are, and they're able to lay that aside and do God's will. Just like a mom says, I'm going to get up and take care of my kid. I may be very tired, but I'm going to do it. And moms do that, don't they? There's pieces of pie that are left, but not enough. Moms say, well, I didn't want any pie anyhow. That's just the way moms are. 
Now, the last example is Jesus. And, of course, it's the best example. Jesus was a man, a human being. And the truth is, when he went to the cross to die, he didn't want to do that. Now, we know that because of the way he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Didn't Jesus say, take this cup from me? Wasn't that a very human response? I don't want to do this. I like my body like this. I'd rather not have scars in my forehead. I'd rather not have nails in my hands and my feet. I'd like to keep my body like it is. And if I choose to get a piercing, it's certainly not going to be that kind of piercing. And so Jesus wrestled in prayer with God the Father because he didn't want to go to the cross. Who would? But he denied himself and went to the cross. Jesus expressed it like this in uh, the Gospel of John. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. I have received this commandment from my Father. And so Jesus models for us. There's no, there's no person on earth who is ever more whole than Jesus, but he models for us that ability to deny himself and do what God asks him to do. Now, this morning, what is it you need from God? What are your needs? Perhaps you'd say, Steve, I really do have very low self-esteem. It's, I don't feel like I matter. What do you need from God? You need God's love to fill you and flow through you and encourage you in your spirit so that you feel like you do matter? I pray that for you. I prayed hard this week and desire that you know God loves you. You matter. You're significant. And I would like for you to be able to walk out of here full of the Spirit and face that sunshine and say, Wow! So what do you need from God? That's my question. And that's the last question on the outline here. Maybe you need salvation. Have you invited Christ into your life? Have you opened your life to Christ? Then I encourage you to ask God to come in. Maybe it's forgiveness. This morning, in just a moment, we're all going to stand and Ted's going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to give an invitation for you to come forward and to pray with one of our prayer team members as we launch this prayer ministry. I'm very excited about it. And it's a way for you to to be personally prayed for in a confidential style just between your prayer partner and you and God. And I encourage you to respond in just a moment. Maybe you're facing a huge challenge in life and you'd, you'd come forward and say to the person you pray with, I just need courage. I need courage. Or perhaps there's a big decision that you need to make. Then you need to pray with someone and say, God, give me guidance and give me wisdom. I don't know what your particular need is. I know we've all got needs. Whether it's for salvation or forgiveness or courage or guidance or hope, I encourage you this morning to respond. Shall we stand together? What do you need from God? I invite you to come as we sing as God responds.